I want you to open your Bibles this morning to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. Right, it's one of those books of the Bible where we go, ooh, Judges. I don't like that word. It's a great, it's a great book of the Bible, though. And, and the Judges of Israel were amazing. It's amazing to read about Samson and Gideon and Deborah and, and, and those that were the shepherds of the flock of Israel in a time where they were very lost. In a time when things weren't going well. In fact, they were a bit of a mess. We're continuing our series this morning, Epic, started last week, and, and the statement is this, living an epic life in an ordinary world. It's so easy to feel like we live in an ordinary world, that just the norm, right? Just the day-to-day, the humdrum, the I, I just going through the motions, that today really doesn't look any different than yesterday did, and, uh, and this year doesn't really look any different to last year, except for maybe I'm getting a little older, or there's a more gray hair, or just a little less hair altogether. And we just get stuck. We just get stuck. We just, just are going and going and going, and it just feels like... I. My life is anything but epic. Love going to the movies. Talked about some movies last week. And uh, I'll just put one picture up this week. We won't go through them all again. But one of, one of my favorite epic movies, Braveheart. One man, just one guy, one simple guy who took a stand on behalf of a nation and rallied his people to stand against an empire. You watch that movie and... I've got some Scottish blood in me, and of course that just kind of, I watch that movie and I hear the bagpipes and everything inside of me just kind of, is why I love Glendora football, because of the bagpipes and all my Scottish DNA just stands to attention, and it's, well, we love these stories because they're compelling. They get us, our blood pumping, but so often we can walk out of a movie theater or watching something on our TV and go, wow, that was awesome. My life's nothing like that. That was incredible. But I'll never do anything like that. See, the problem is we begin to believe that we're relegated to live simple, really meaningless lives. When they do studies now and they ask people, what is it that they're most looking for? There's been a shift from money and finances and career to just... I want my life to have meaning and purpose. I want to get to the end of my life and recognize that my life has meaning and purpose, that it counted for something. We can feel like sometimes that we'll never accomplish anything meaningful, anything significant in our lives. We use excuses. We convince ourselves of things like this. I'm I'm too young. I'm too old. I didn't go to school. I studied the wrong thing. I don't want to stand out or be known. Can I just be anonymous? I don't want to stand out for the good or for the bad. I just want to blend in. I don't have enough experience or I've made too many mistakes. Been there. There's no way God can use my life because too much water under that bridge. So the best I can hope for is just kind of getting to the finish line. Today is the LA Marathon. And uh, they started really early this morning and world-class athletes finished in just over two hours, two hours, I think about 15 minutes for the male runners and I think 2.30 something for the female. I did the LA Marathon in the year 2000, one of the most painful days of my life. It poured rain and it was cold and it was miserable and I didn't even plan on incorporating this into my message until I heard it on the radio today. They were saying, hey, it's the LA Marathon today and my muscles just all went. I'm never, I can't do anything like that. There's no value. There's no meaning. I've made too many mistakes. It's too late. But here's what the psalmist writes of who you are. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. For you... Speaking of God, created my inmost being. 
You knit me together in my mother's womb. I, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. For your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That's what God says about you. I know who you are. I know exactly where you were going to be born and who you were going to be born to. I knew the circumstances that you would be born, uh, that would be around you when you were born. And I knew exactly what your life would look like and what it's supposed to look like and what my hopes are for you. Because God says, I made you. You were my idea. I heard someone say this, this, this week, God don't make no junk. Right? God doesn't make junk. And so he knew you. So who are you? You're a child of God. You are loved. You are chosen. You are set apart. You are called. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Your life has value, meaning, potential, and purpose. And can I just declare over you today, some of you walked into this place, and that's the last thing that was on your mind. Some of you woke up this morning and were like, you know, I don't even want to go to church today. I don't want to go sit there and just pretend like everything in my life is okay. Oh, you're going to be talking about epic today. And I, that is the furthest thing from where I'm at. I don't want to go hear pastor talk about epic when I don't feel epic. But can I tell you, you are epic. Why? Because you are God's child. And it's a lie of the enemy that, that would say that you're nothing. You don't matter. You don't count. Your life has no value and no meaning and no purpose. Guess what? Satan wasn't there when God fashioned you in your mother's womb. He didn't know. He, he, he can't know. He doesn't have, possess the capacity to know what God's plans are for you. He just kind of makes it up as he goes. So the best he can do is what Gen John 10.10 10 says. That Satan comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So what he's waiting for is to see things popping up in your life, and then that's where he targets you. See, but God's causing things to pop up in your life. All Satan can do is steal it, and then Jesus goes on to say, I have come that you would have life and have it to the fullest, have it abundantly, that you would thrive, that you would live an epic life. That's who you are. So last week we looked at the life of Noah. And it made this statement, it wasn't the ark, and it wasn't the flood that made Noah's life epic. It was the fact that he stood blameless before the Lord in a time where literally everybody on the face of the earth cursed God. It says, it says in Genesis that it was the, 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 the only inclination of their heart was, it was only evil all the time. That's bad. But Noah stood blameless, that's epic. See, we so often equate epic, productive, meaningful, purpose-driven to stuff. I did this thing, and now, therefore, I'm epic. My life is epic because of what I've achieved, and our culture drives us incessantly. God says, no, 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 the most epic thing you can do is stand for truth. As Jesus said, everyone who loves me stands on the side of truth. The most epic thing we can do is stand on the side of truth. This morning, though, we're going to take a look at the life of Gideon. Someone who, if you've been in church for any amount of time, or especially if you grew up in Sunday school, you're familiar with the life of Gideon. We're going to, again, like last week, we're going to listen to the reading. It's about four minutes because I picked two passages, Judges chapter 6, 11 through 15, and then Judges chapter 7, 1 through 22. And um, we're going to play the audio. It's the reading off of, out of the NIV Bible. And, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes. And I just want you to listen to the words. Picture what's happening. Picture the scene. What's, what's unfolding? What does it look like? Right? We can read the words out of our Bible, which is great, but, but I want you to, to get a, a, a movie-type image in your mind of what's happening. Let's listen to this. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite. 
where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Judges 7 Early in the morning, Jerob Baal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Harad. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moray. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So twenty-two thousand men left, while ten thousand remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, This one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues, as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the three hundred, who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During that night the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura, and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the three hundred men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them, with torches inside. Watch me, he told them, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. Crying out as they fled. Do you get a good picture? Gideon goes from being in a wine press threshing wheat to overlooking a mighty army which with 300 men he would go on 
to defeat. I tell you what, talk about a rags to riches story, except it was leading a meaningless life to defeating the occupying force. God did amazing things in this man's life. And I want us to, we're going to draw a few points out of this. Take a look at a few of the things in, in Gideon's life that took place here. See, Israel at this time, a little background, were an occupied nation again. It's not the first time, it wouldn't be the last time. They'd entered into the promised land. They'd come out of Egypt. God had done mighty things for them. He'd given them specific rules and things that they needed to follow, and they didn't. And because of their disobedience, they end up in a place where they are an occupied nation. And so the Midianites, the Amalekites, and it says there were even other groups of people that would oppress the Israelites. And here's what they would do. They would let them just live their lives plant their crops, go about their days. But whenever the crops would come to fruition, when the, when the fruit would be produced and was ready for the harvest, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the others would come sweeping in and they would steal the Israelites' food. So whether it was wheat or barley or the, the, the crops that would come off the trees, the fruit, all of the things, in fact, that God had promised them and said that this land would overflow with milk and honey, that this land would produce everything you needed to produce. So the promise of God that was being produced by the land was being robbed by people that it didn't belong to. And the Israelites were stuck. They were stuck. They were depressed. They were frustrated, and, and we find Gideon here in a, in a wine press threshing wheat. Now, this, this might not be a, a picture that you understand, because anyone been threshing wheat lately, right? No, no, no one has a threshing floor at their house, right? No, none of us. We go to the store, and we buy a bag of flour, but for them... They would have a place, it was a, it was a large circular area where there would be a threshing floor and they would bring the crop and, and they, would, they would throw all the wheat and people with these big pitchforks would come and they would start tossing the wheat up in the air. And what would happen is as the wind would blow, the, the wheat, the kernels of wheat were heavier than the stalks and the, and the ears and the, and the husks. And, and so the, just the process of tossing those up in the the, the air, the, the, the husks would split open and they were lighter than the wheat. And so the wind would take them and they would just blow them off into the countryside. And after a day or so, that they, they would have a pile of wheat in front of them that they would then take and sift. And then they would grind it into flour and make bread. See, but the, for a threshing floor to, wheat, to, to work, what they had to do was put it in a place where the wind could catch it. See, a threshing floor is not effective if it's hidden from the wind because it relies on the power of the wind to do the work. So the fact that Gideon is in a wine press, see, now a wine press was completely different. Usually it was, it was a smaller space and, and there would be a, a rock wall that would be built or they would dig it down into the ground and it would be about four or five feet, maybe even six feet tall and that's where they would throw all the grapes and then people would come and they would do the whole walking on the grapes thing, and they would crush the grapes to make wine. So the fact that Gideon is in a wine press threshing wheat tells us, first of all, he's afraid, and we know that because he's afraid that they're going to come steal his wheat. But, but check this out. His fear and the opposition of the Midianites is causing Gideon to do something ineffective. Because you can't thresh wheat effectively in a place that's sheltered from the wind. Can I just interject here? That so often opposition will cause us to do things that we know how to do. The Israelites knew how to thresh wheat. Opposition will cause us to do things we know how to do in ways that are completely ineffective and unproductive. That we will convince ourselves that this way is better... Because of fear. And we will see fewer results produced in our lives, leaving us frustrated. Gideon's sitting there threshing this wheat, or standing in this wine press, and, and it says the angel of the Lord, which in the Old Testament, when it says the angel of the Lord, it's a reference to Jesus. So Gideon sees God face to face, and he doesn't even know it. And 
There's a whole lot more. Go home and read Judges 6 and 7. It's a great story. There's a whole bunch. There's a fleece and there's Asherah poles and oh, there's all kinds of cool stuff that happens. But the angel of the Lord comes and he sits down under this oak tree and, and Gideon is there and he's working. And now Gideon, I'm sure, is afraid of anyone he doesn't know. Because are you a spy? Are you here to steal from me? And it's at that point that he hears the word of the Lord says to him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. This is how the angel of the Lord addresses. Okay, so Gideon, because he's a male and he's a part of Israel and because he's a fighting age, he would have been a part of the, the army. He was a fighting man. But he's also a farmer. So he's a, he's a soldier and a farmer standing in a wine press hiding from the opposing force, threshing wheat in an ineffective and unproductive way. And the angel of the Lord says, mighty warrior, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And of course Gideon's going, who are you talking to? Who are you talking to? You've got the wrong guy. How often do you feel like God will speak to you and put something on your heart and your response is, God, you got the wrong person. God, you dialed the wrong number. God, that can't be from, uh, I, that's just, that must be bad pizza. But that's not you. God, there's no way that God would speak to me that way. How often do we pick, the, pick up the word of God and we'll read and we'll read something just in the same way we'll go see a movie like Braveheart and then go, but uh, my life will never be like that. We pick up the word of God and we read it and God speaks by his Holy Spirit, speaks something to our hearts and we go, I'm just going to skip that part. That must be for someone else. Why? Because we disqualify ourselves and we believe the lies of the enemy. See, God has to speak to Gideon in a way that kind of shocks him out of his lethargy, out of his funk. You ever been in a funk? Come on, anyone? All right. You get in a place where you're just like, Ugh. could this day just be done? Could this week just be done? See, God has huge plans for Gideon, but he first has to change Gideon's perspective. See, the way that God addresses Gideon, he addresses him according to God's plan. See, because Psalms tells us that God knew Gideon before he formed him in his mother's womb, and he knew the plans and the purposes of Gideon's life. And so God addresses him according to what he knows Gideon is, not according to what Gideon thinks he is. I'm going to say that again because someone needs to hear that. God wants to address you according to what he knows is true of who you are, not according to what you think is true of who you are. And so often those things are not the same. Why? Because Satan comes to steal and kill and destroy. Because he's a liar and he's the father of lies. And from the Garden of Eden to the book of Revelation to this day today, all he wants to do is say, did God really say did God really say? And he calls into question the truth claims of who God is. So how do you live an epic life when you're facing opposition? I've got three points that I want to share with you this morning. First is this. Look inward before you look outward. Look inward before you look outward. Israel was an occupied nation not because of the Midianites and the Amalekites. You know why Israel was an occupied nation? Because of the Israelites. They were an occupied nation because of the Israelites. Their own sin, their own disobedience, their own desire to do whatever they wanted to do opened the doors wide open for the enemy to come in. And God told them, he told them as plainly as anything, if you don't obey me, if you do not honor me, if you do not listen to my commands and, and walk in obedience to my commands, if you reject me and take on the gods of the nations around you, they're going to come in and take you over and I will remove my blessing from you. And that's exactly what's happened. See, but... 
But Gideon's first response, Gideon's first response is to blame God. His first response is to blame God. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord. Isn't Gideon nice and polite? Pardon me. The pardons come from a place of fear. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all his wonders our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? Listen to this. But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. By the way, God continues and he says, go in the strength I've given you. He doesn't even address the blame. God's like, I've got no time for that. He blames God. God, where are you in all of this? I don't see your hand moving. If, if I'm a mighty warrior and, 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 and you say that our nation, and, and because if I'm mighty, then the rest of the nation must be mighty, why is all of this happening? Why aren't you moving on our behalf? And he blames God. And we could read this story and go, what a fool. Yeah, we're guilty of the same. God, why isn't this working out in my life? God's like, because you need to look inward before you look outward. You need to take stock and take inventory of what is going on in your own life. What are the decisions that you're making? Where are the places that you are not choosing to surrender your life to God? You know his word. You know his promises. You know what he's asking of you. He has shown you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require? He doesn't even mince words, church. He just tells us. But we blame, because it's easier to blame. We blame God. We blame others. Well, I'm this way because of that person. Now, hear me. Stuff happens in our lives, and people do things into our lives, that, do, do things to us in our lives that are hurtful and damaging. Absolutely. But if we choose to live our lives in a place where we play the victim, Satan has got us exactly where he wants us. Because I cannot be a victim and be victorious. See, there's, there's a difference between recognizing the facts and shifting the blame. And if, if the outcome of my life is always someone else's fault... Well, church, your life is not going to be epic. It's just going to be kind of a whimper. We like to blame others. Well, this person, do you know what they said to me? That church, that pastor, those people, that neighbor, that boss, if it weren't for that boss, I would have had that promotion. And we blame, but we, we, we don't want to start with ourselves first. And so we have to look inward before we look outward. We blame our circumstances. Well, you don't understand what, kind of where I grew up and what the circumstances of my life are and have been. You know, some of the most joyful people I've met in my life have been in the slums of Nairobi. In the broken down, busted up homes in Haiti. People whose identity is so secure in who God is, their circumstances don't matter. And that doesn't matter in a way it's like they just ignore it. No, it's hard. When you live in a little shack with a dirt floor and when it rains, the water and the feces from all of the homes next to you just runs through your... Sh you can't ignore that, right? Hardship that we can't even imagine, church. But when we recognize that we are children of God, that he has a plan and an awesome plan and a purpose for our lives, we can look at those things and go, you know what? Yeah, this is the reality of my, reality of my circumstance, but I'm not going to blame my circumstances for what I perceive as God not moving in my life. You could blame the Midianites. Well, you can't, but Gideon did. Well, God, it's them. 
first it's you and then it's them. We can fill in the blank. So many different things that we can point a finger at. Judges 6, 7 through 10. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. Church, we have to ask ourselves this question, and it's not an easy question, and it's not a fun question. I wish I could just tell you today, hey, listen, we can all be like Gideon if we just do these three easy things. But this isn't an infomercial, and there is no 800 number, okay? We have to ask ourselves this question. Could the opposition I'm facing be because of my own decisions and my own actions and my own thinking? You have to start there. If you feel stuck, ask yourself, is it me? Let that hang out there for a second. Because it's usually the last place we go. Because I get it all together. I've got things figured out. Any problems in my life must be because of someone else. But you have not... Listen to me. Where are the places in your life where God would say, if you would just listen to me, if you would just listen, if you would stop and hear my voice, we're hanging on every word. We can sing that, but are we doing it? In those moments, in those, those moments every day where there's a decision that faces us and we're like, okay, the right or the wrong, am I going to do the right thing or, or am I going to choose the not right thing? And we feel the Spirit of God nudging us and we still go, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and do that. We have to start inwardly. God, what is going on inside of me that is taking me away from you? Where am I not aligning my life with your plan and your design? Second thing is this, you need to remember who you are and whose you are. You need to remember who you are and whose you are. Now this is, I didn't come up with that phrase. In fact, if you Google that, you'll find out there's, it's been attributed to a few different people. I was at a conference this week and one of the speakers referenced it and kind of got lodged in my mind and I was like, that's good, I'm going to use that on Sunday. But you need to remember who you are and whose you are. See, because we're so committed to our rugged individualism. I am my own person. No one can tell me what I am or what I'm not. And we take this stand about, right, hear me roar kind of thing. God says, no, 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 no. Yes, you are an individual, but you also belong to someone. And there's a tension that exists. Would would you agree? There's a huge tension that exists. See, Gideon, along with the rest of Israel, had forgotten who they were and whose they were. So when when the angel of the Lord says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, God, if, if you're with me, then why has all this stuff happened? God has to remind him, Hey, I brought you out of Egypt, which by the way, that passage precedes the encounter with Gideon, so he was speaking that to the nation of Israel. I brought you out of Egypt. I provided for you in the desert. I caused you to walk across the Jordan River and dry land. I drove out the inhabitants of the land before you and gave you this beautiful place. But you've forgotten who you are and who you belong to. You've become self-made people who think they know better. Gideon says to the Lord in verse 15 of chapter 6, pardon me, my Lord, again with the politeness. But how can I save Israel? 
My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you and, I will, and you will strike down all of the Midianites, leaving none alive. All right. So Gideon plays this out in his mind and he realizes, my tribe is not much and I'm not much. See, he was from the tribe of Manasseh, which wasn't a full tribe. Joseph, when they came out of Egypt, his two sons inherited one tribe. And so there was the half-tribe of Manasseh and the half-tribe of Ephraim. And so they weren't even a full tribe. And they were the least. And so, so Gideon's saying, I'm the least person in my clan, which is the least clan in my tribe, which is the least tribe in Israel, which, by the way, is an occupied nation. I'm the scum on the bottom of scum, right? How can I do all of this? I'm nothing. Gideon had forgotten who he was. What's God's answer to it? I will be with you and you will strike down all of the Midianites, leaving none alive. Leaving none alive. See, God says to us that we're going to do things that we can't fathom. Sometimes we're polite like Gideon. No, Lord, no. Sorry, but you've got the wrong person. See, because, you know, where I come from and, and my circumstances and my background and I'm, I'm nothing and I'm this and I'm that and fill in the blank. God says, I don't, I don't see that. I don't recognize that. Because I'm with you. And when God is with you, it doesn't matter where you feel like you're from or who you are. God says, I will do amazing things in your life. But we have to take him at his word. You may feel like nothing. You may feel like the least of the least. And we all have bad days. But when we start living our lives in such a way that it becomes the mark of my life, not just a bad day, there's a problem. Because I've pushed God out and said, God, there's no place for you in my problems. There's no place for you in my circumstance. And you forget who you are and whose you are. Because God would speak to you and say, I am with you, mighty warrior. God saw Gideon as a mighty warrior before him saw, he saw himself that way. Verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. First words out of his mouth. God has to remind Gideon who he is. God wants to remind you about who you are. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Church, this is so huge for us to grasp. Go in the strength that I'm going to give you over the next few weeks as we kind of take you through counseling and work you through some different processes and you go to some classes and to a Thrive group and, and you'll start feeling a little more strength. No, he says, go in the strength you already have. Remember, warrior farmer standing in a wine press threshing wheat, having a conversation with the guy who's, go in the strength you have and I'm sure Gideon's like, yeah, I'm not seeing it. But God sees it, and he calls it out of him, right? It's good coaching. A coach sees the potential and then calls it out of that player. Says, I already see it. It's already there. You have potential. You have, you have talent. It's just in you. Let's get it out. Go in the strength you have. Am I not sending you? And then finally, ask God what you need to let go of. How do we live epic lives in the face of opposition? Sometimes it's about letting go of stuff. And can I just tell you, you know this, letting go is hard. Letting go of stuff, position, titles, Finances, relationships, letting go is hard. 
It's so much easier just to get our clutches around things and just hang on for dear life. But here's the thing is when our hands are clenched around things, they're not open to receive. They're not open to receive. See, because God can do more with the little in your hands than he can with the abundance that you can amass for yourself. God will do more with the little bit that you have or you don't think you even have than with all the riches and all of the glory and all of the fame that you think you can get by yourself. What is it that your heart is longing for and pining for? When you turn on the TV, when you read a magazine or look at Facebook, what are the things that you're going, oh, if only I had fill in the blank. If I had more money, I would go and serve God in some amazing way. No, you won't. No, you won't. If you're not doing it now, you definitely won't do it then. Because more money doesn't bring more freedom. More money doesn't bring more freedom. If you've ever said, God, if you would just bless me with a job where I made more money, I would tithe, I would go on missions trips, blah, blah, blah. You need to change your thinking because it's not going to happen. You are lying to yourself and you need to let go. You know, at the end of the day, all it is is pride and selfishness because really what I want is that stuff for myself. Every person that Jesus called to follow him, he said, drop what you're doing and come follow me. Hey, Peter, listen, I need you to go out in your boat and catch more fish and make a lot more money because my ministry needs the money that you'll make for more fish. Have we heard that? We hear that in the church. Hey, I need you to be successful in your job and in your business because then, no. God says, drop your nets and follow me. The way this played out with, with Gideon, who's with his army, 7 verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. <laughs> you have too big of an army. Ooh, what? <laughs> I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Where are you trying to save yourself? Where are you trying to fix your problems? Where are you trying to correct opposition in your own power, in your own strength, for your own glory? Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. So 32,000. Gideon's going, I've got a pretty good army. 32,000 men. You have too many, what? You have too many men. So just tell the ones that are fearful, go home. Okay, 22,000. Yeah, we're out. And I'm sure Gideon's thinking this, it's because they don't believe in me. Maybe because I'm not a good warrior and I'm not a good leader. Or maybe he blamed God again. But for whatever reason, they got up and they left. Okay, 10,000, 10, 10's good. 10's good. He goes on to say in verse 6, 300, well, okay, let's pre preface it. Go down to the river. He says, you still have too many. Go down to the river. And the ones that scoop the water up and lap like a dog, keep those. Everyone else, send them home. How many did that? 300. So he goes from 32,000 to 300. God says you need to let go because the victory is not in the quantity or the number of soldiers that you have. Your victory is in the Lord and, and everyone will know that I did this, not you. Are you facing opposition in your life because you're trying to fix something that God wants to fix on your behalf? God, I got this. I'll only bother you if I can't handle it. Can I just clue you into something? You can't handle it. There. Well, maybe the little, th you can't handle it. 
Because he's Lord of all or not at all. I don't get to pick and choose. I'll surrender this part of my life and then this I won't bother God with. God goes, please bother me. You can't handle it. 300. The story goes on. God says, okay, now here's the battle plan. You're going to go out and we heard it in the audio. You're going to have a trumpet, a torch, and a, and a, and a pitcher. And you're going to surround the encampment. And it says that they were like locusts. There were so many, you can't even tell them apart from each other. Just crawling all over them. Midianites and the Amalekites and all of the ites are there. And In fact, Gideon's getting kind of nervous. He's like, I don't know about this. And God says, go, just go down, sneak. I mean, there's so many of them, they don't even notice Gideon sneaking into the camp. And then he hears the fear that's present. Can I just tell you right now, the enemy is afraid of you. The enemy is afraid of you. Why? Because the spirit of the living God lives in you and he doesn't stand a chance. So Gideon's strength is bolstered and he's confident and he goes up and he breaks the 300 into three groups, three companies. They surround the army. They take out their trumpets and their pitchforks and at the right moment he says, watch for my signal. They break the pitcher. The the flaming torch is held high. They blow the trumpets and the Midianites and the Amalekites who are already petrified of what's about to happen freak out and start killing each other. And then they start just running, just running for their lives. And so Israel, Gideon and his army, his little band of brothers, start chasing after them. I mean, you think that, right, 300? That's the original 300. These guys were awesome. And then they start calling out to the rest of Israel, come help us out. Come help us out because these guys are running. And they set the enemy on his heels. And they destroy him. What is it you need to let go of? What are the things that God's saying, listen, you're trying to fix something yourself. You're trying to take my place in your life. And as a result, as a result you're just mucking it up. You're making a mess of it. Please, please stop. Just stop. Have you ever walked into a scenario where someone's doing something They're baking or cooking. I've helped friends fix their cars. And the first thing I go is, just stop. Stop what you're doing. Because you're making it worse, not better. (laughs) God steps into our lives and he goes, just stop. You're making it worse, not better. Let go and let me take over. And by the way, I'm going to ask you to drop some things that you don't need. But God, I just need that. No, you don't. I need the safety and the security. No, you don't. Let go. Where are you facing opposition? God wants to bring breakthrough. I realize this morning it's been a long, it's a long message. But here's what I know. We started out this morning in a place, kind of stuckness. At least that's what I felt. Maybe you felt that, maybe you didn't. Praise the Lord if you didn't. But my prayer is that God has brought, a break, brought about a breakthrough in you. You are the righteousness of God. You are the head, not the tail. You are above, not below. You are, you, you, you are seated in high places. And God would declare over you this morning, mighty warrior, go in the strength you already have. Can we stand together? We're going to close with worship. Our ushers are going to come to receive the tithes and offering. We're going to do a few things right at the end of the service here that we didn't get to do earlier. Um, By the way, if you're visiting with us this morning, glad to have you. Definitely not a normal Sunday, but hey, we're not a normal church and we don't serve a normal God. We serve an epic God, right? If it is your first time and uh, we'd love to just connect with you and follow up with you, there's a connect card in the back of the seat in front of you. Um, Please take a minute to fill that out. You can also put prayer requests, Thrive Stories, how's God working in your life? We want to hear about those things. Um, 
for our church family, just looking around, I think that's all of us today. If you call Thrive Church your home, right after service, we're actually going to, we'll break for about five minutes, and then we're going to have a short uh, church family meeting. We need to vote to ratify a new church council member. Uh, it's going to just take just a few minutes, as, uh, literally just like four or five minutes, and we'll be, we'll be done. So please don't leave right away. Stick around for that. And then we're collecting shoes, collecting shoes for our Kenya missions trip. Um, those shoes are going to be uh, sent to micro-organizations and uh, micro-businesses, rather, in countries like Haiti and Cuba, where uh, people will be able to make a living. We'll get money for donating those to an organization. So if you've got extra shoes lying in your closet, bring them. Uh, you can bring them here to the church uh, on Sunday mornings, or you can take them to the Thrive Center uh, during the week. Uh, question? We want to collect all of these shoes by the end of April. Our goal is to collect, collect 300, uh, 300 bags, a total of 7,500 shoes is what we're looking for. So ask your neighbors, ask your friends, ask your coworkers. Uh, take any kinds of shoes as long as there's still life left in them. If they're falling apart, like your old gardening shoes that have holes, don't bring those. Um, but, but any shoes that have life left in them. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads this morning. Father God, I ask this morning, as we close service, <laughs> even this morning, Lord, that we've seen how you don't move in normal ways sometimes in our lives, and we're okay with that. God, I ask today that the places where we're stuck, the places where we're facing opposition, that we would surrender our lives to you and say, God, would you move? Because when you move, you change everything. God, I pray that we would take inventory. We would look inward before we look outward. Lord, we would recognize that, that there are places where we're bringing about the opposition, that we're the source of our own opposition. God, I ask that if there are things that we need to let go of, that we would let go of them. God, that we would remember who we are and whose we are. Thank you, Lord, that we can come together and worship you, be strengthened by your word, receive these tithes and offerings, and I pray you would multiply them for the glory of your kingdom, in Jesus' name.